This week on Hannibal, viewers were forced to decide what was more disturbing. The fact that next week may very well be our series finale, or holy fucking hell, Chilton's lips. This is a matter of taste. <laughs> we're like babes in the wild. Gordos <laughs> in the landscape of the mind. It's going to be so subversive. They're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> so dark. <laughs> <laughs> she was like a sad cat. I'm sorry, but I want to be able to see out of my knuckle hair. You, you've opened my eyes. <laughs> we are a hive mind. We are one. Oh, hey, little nep, it is. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's upsetting. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Matter of Taste. My name is Theo. I am joined this evening by my erstwhile companion, Ian. Hello. And uh, we are here discussing episode 12 of season 3 of Hannibal. The number of the beast is 666, and then an ellipses. Um... So, <laughs> unless you're reading it on iTunes, iTunes does not have the ellipses. iTunes does not preserve the ellipses. Let's talk about the philosophical ramifications of not keeping an ellipses in the title. <laughs> I mean, it would be less disturbing than some of the other stuff this episode. <laughs> yes, this that's very true. Um, I can't even. It would be an easier conversation joke about that. <laughs> I, I'm normally like a silent, I'm a pretty silent person when I watch a show on yeah. my, you know, like I'm not one of those, there's a, a couple times that actually fucking watching at midnight recently, there have been a couple times where I laughed really fucking <laughs> loud, um, but uh, no, normally like stuff, I, I can enjoy a comedy a lot and not make a sound watching it if I'm watching it alone. Um you know, I just, I don't react a lot if I'm on my own. I, I react more in groups. But I was making some noises during that scene. Oh my gosh. <laughs> some sounds that were uh, being uh, articulated from my mouth during that scene. I, I don't know if you saw my post-watch tweets, like because I didn't get to watch it with everyone else. So I watched it on Sunday, but I literally gagged during that moment. Like it, it was, it was crazy because I was watching it on NBC's website because for whatever reason iTunes had not yet updated with the, the episode, so I desperate measures. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, like the uh, stream uh, got kind of interrupted right when that moment happened, so I saw like okay. <laughs> Forgive me for being graphic. Fast forward a few seconds if you don't want me to, if you want to skip over it. I mean, you've seen it already. Yeah, you've, you've seen it already, but I wasn't even sure I wanted to, I wanted to relive it when I was watching the second my second watch through of that episode. But caused you some severe psychic distress. Understandable. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah. It it like the streams it, like almost like stuttered the moment that he leaned in toward Chilton's face. And so I caught, like, a frame, uh, like, a couple of frames of him uh, stretching the skin. Mm -hmm. And then it was, it sort of, like, held on that for a second without any movement. And I'm like, and I was like, oh, crap, did it stop? And then, boom, screaming Rollo Sparsa with his face torn open. And that's when I was like, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I paused it, and I... I <laughs> Like, Just, I, like, indiscriminately touching your face, like, oh, what the hell? I, I ran to a sink just to make sure, just to be safe. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, man. You want to double-check that shit. Like, yeah. it's totally understandable. <laughs> like, and, and again, it wasn't so much the act itself, but seeing his face afterwards and the screaming and the, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you described it as the uh, the stream stuttering. And all I, immediately the image that flipped into my head and the only thing I could picture was, uh, 
was Dollarhide like biting his lips, pulling back, and then like an animated GIF of him going back and forth, stretching the lips with like flashing colors, like a party hard GIF. That was all I could picture. <laughs> Somebody please make that. If you have zero GIF making skills at all in this this area, this neck of uh, this neck of the fandom, most disturbing uh, GIF ever. Oh God. I, I would pay money for that. <laughs> I, I would pay actual money dollars to see that animated GIF. But yeah, that was it, that was another thing that we've seen on network TV. I, and I'm like, I'm almost frightened because like my impulse was to say, that's one last thing they wanted to get away with before they left. It's like the finale hasn't aired yet, so yeah. if I if I if I say that without like. <laughs> without a um, sense of self-awareness, I'm sure something's going to be worse. Well, look, what I was thinking about it, and this is episode 12 of season 3. Mm-hmm. This was the way that they top Mason Verger slicing his face open in episode 12 of season 2. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Because the thing about Mason Verger's is it was mostly in darkness... And he didn't seem to be able to feel any of it. Or he was so friggin' drugged up that he was just... He was actually in disturbingly good humor. So it was still really, really disturbing and disgusting. But it had this weird... It had that dreamlike quality to it. Whereas this, there was... You could see everything. And it was very... Chilton could feel everything. And... You didn't have Hannibal making jokes and stuff. You had uh, the the dragon, who in in this this entire episode was just friggin' terrifying. Yeah, and this is um this is something I've seen pointed out in reviews um pretty often, um and it's something that we kind of uh, got around to uh in the previous episode, but talking about like how the dragon it's the dragon itself is such a counterpoint to Hannibal. Where, you know, the dragon is this creature, in the, in the context of this show, that has none of Hannibal's elegance, but all of his brutality. Like, yeah. it's such an animalistic force on this show. And I, you know, you, you need, you almost need to speak, speak to it as something completely separate from Dollarhide. I mean, not to absolve him of his actions, but to, yeah. to handle the dragon on the dragon's terms. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is it is a subtly different force than you know Dollarhide himself. Dollarhide's a very complicated character from what we've seen on the show so far. Um, but yeah, the uh, <laughs> that's uh, that is one of the most disturbing things we've ever seen on this show. <laughs> I mean, like I was I was freaking out when uh, when Hannibal started taking the. Uh, the cranial saw to Will's head. Yeah. But this this was a, quite a bit more graphic than that. It's just, you know, a character we don't like as much as Will. Or some people I like more. I, you know, I don't judge. That's fine. Mm-hmm. There, there are people all all sorts of upset about this. Well, um, and even, even Cleo, I saw on Twitter, she was like, guys, I'm not even sure if this is sporting. And it's... <laughs> I love no. your response. Because <laughs> he is... he Chilton has become so much more of... A, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say likable, although there are certain things we like about the performance. But he's, he's so much. He's got more layers to him, more dimension, and in this setting, he's ultimately just this hapless buffoon. Where it's like, okay, yeah, he's terrible, but did he really deserve this? <laughs> yeah, and I think we we have mentioned this about Chilton before. I'm not sure on which episode. But I think we have talked about, um, talked at length about the the different layers that Raul Esparza gives the character that you know isn't necessarily there in uh, the other source material. But yeah, no, it's not it's not sporting at all. Not even not even a little bit. Did you <laughs> did you see that? Uh, there's a tweet by Brian Fuller that was like, uh, it was something like Raul understands perfectly his role in the show, and attached was a picture of uh, Kenny on fire. <laughs> I didn't see the picture. I saw the tweet, but I didn't see the picture. That's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. It's, like, true. It is so true. It happens every season. 
Well, and, and like it, speaking again to Raul Sparza's performance, rewatching the episode, I just was taking notes on every little thing he did, like that first scene he has with Hannibal in the institution, where he's like, "I, I was lying on your behalf." Yeah, <laughs> and that that's the that's the thing is, like Anthony Hield's Chilton, and I guess the book Chilton, even though I haven't read it, but since he is, it, it, it's such a more condensed version of the character. And that that version of Chilton, all we get to really see is his sliminess. And yeah, he's not as clever as he thinks he is, but he's he's really just annoying. And he, like mm-hmm. uh, like we've talked about, he's the character that you love to hate. Whereas in this, uh, and we've talked before on the podcast about how since it is a longer form medium, you have to take characters like Freddie Lowndes and Chilton and give them a little more depth, or else there's I mean, you could just kill them off quickly and be done with them, but they took the opportunity to make them more interesting characters and cast really awesome actors uh, to give these little, these more nuanced performances while still having those, like, amazingly awful moments. Like, Freddie yeah. this episode, when she when she's talking about how, like, so I'd like to take this picture with you in a bathrobe, uh, just pouring over this artist's rendition of Francis. <laughs> and Will's yeah. like... Or not Francis, because she doesn't know who he is. Yeah. And but and was just like, I'll stand by the window. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, yeah, and Raul Sparza, just there are some lines that I wrote down of his. There, there was the I was lying on your behalf. Yeah. And then there's, uh, there's that moment, that really, really interesting moment where. There's the back and forth between him and Will as he's describing the psychosis of uh, the dragon and Will's reinterpreting it into incredibly offensive statements. And uh, he ends with, this is the child of a nightmare. And it cuts to Will and Will actually has this look Mm -hmm. of like, oh, huh. (laughs) Like he hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. That was a, that I really liked that moment. Uh, and then of course there's, he's in the chair and he says, oh, I hope to God I have not been burned. And then there's just like, they linger, like he, he, Dollar Hyde says like four times, burned, burned, burned. And anyone who knows the story is just like, fuck. (laughs) And Brian Fuller is just steepling his fingers like, excellent. (laughs) Oh God! The 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 mounting tension throughout that entire scene, from the moment Chilton wakes up to it, the uh, to the lip biting, is just I was it, it, it again. It was one of those moments where I'm just completely gripped to my seat, like blinking less, just completely enthralled by everything going on on screen and uh, Richard Armitage's voice his voice that he uses for that scene is so different than uh, his Francis Dollarhide voice when he's like talking to Reba or something and uh, he's still I'm amazed at how naturally he's able to fit the lisp into his, the speak, speech patterns, because it's mm-hmm. just incredible. He's like, ah, all the awards. I say that every episode, <laughs> but geez, it's too true. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we are we are frequently blown away by the actors on this show. I think it's becoming, it's becoming a bit of a cliche yeah. every time we start an episode. Yeah, I'm amazed at how he moves. Yeah. Like again, that's the the whole, you know, dancing background, but the way he vaults like across the room when he's like closing in on Chilton is Oh yeah. So like oh god, it's it's really, really interesting. Like it's so it's so inhumanly fluid the way he moves. Yeah. What I would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh and I I think there was a tweet somewhere like a... Uh, uh, who's the not Scott Thompson? Uh, the the one guy on the crew that always tweets the boom mic guy. I think he is. 
I'm not positive. I know, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I think he was the one who tweeted that, like, this was the scene where the crew was actually, like, creeped out by Richard Armitage. (laughs) With good reason. (laughs) Yeah, I would be too. I can't imagine seeing that in person. Yeah. And, and, the it, it's so like a lot of it is lifted from the book but the pacing of that and the way that it was filmed just the perfect amount of back and forth between the characters and there were a few shots there where they hold on the shot without cutting for a good amount of time and it's just that 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 stage background that like Rolla Sparza has and I don't know if Richard Armitage well he's done dancing so but uh they and because they're able to have those longer shots, it just makes it that much more uh, of the moment and unsettling. Mm-hmm. And the mask doesn't look silly. <laughs> the the thing that Dollar Hyde had pulled over his face. Um, but what about the stuff around that scene? <laughs> what about the entire rest of the episode? Let's let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> we can pull ourselves away from slobbering over uh, Ronald Sparza and Richard Armitage. <laughs> oh goodness! Um, when I was rewatching this episode, I'd forgotten that it starts off with Will and Bedelia. Yeah. What did you make of their whole conversation? Well. We had the line to end all lines. <laughs> aside from, aside from like the entirety of like Tumblr exploding with anagram confirmed. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like I love how everyone was just like, now you've caught up to the rest of us, Will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like she asks him. She asks him like, or what is what does she say? She says. She says uh, Hannibal's in love, or he asks if Hannibal's in love with him, and she basically just says, "Well, are you in love with him?" In yeah. different she, words, and he gets said, that look. He gets that look on his face. It's like, "Oh, damn!" And then the, <laughs> the entirety of the fandom's just like, "Thank you." <laughs> yeah, the line that she says, he says, "Is Hannibal in love with me?" And uh, her line, she says, "Does he hunger you?" And is he nourished by the mere sight of you? I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically it. And she says, yes. Uh, and then she asks him... Uh, it's like, uh, don't I, you ache for him as well? Do, yeah, like do you ache for him as well? Uh, and that, that sort of just sets up the whole rest of the... It's interesting because that sets up the whole rest of the episode, but the rest of the episode really is more about Chilton. Yeah. And, and uh, Will's feelings towards him. Uh, but one of the things that struck me about Will specifically this episode was I felt like there were a lot of moments that harkened back to uh, Will as we knew him before the three-year gap. Will under the influence of Hannibal. Will in the first season trying to deal with the the stuff that he was seeing. Because uh, we have these sessions with Bedelia where he's really uncertain of himself. We have him seeing more and more nightmarish visions in his dreams and in his waking life. Like he has that look at Alana in the scene where they're talking about writing the article Mm -hmm. and he sees the glass, the mirror shards on her eyes and the bleeding. Um, And then later when they're watching Chilton's video, uh, he starts to lose it, and he's just like cl- starts clutching his head. The soundtrack goes, it, it just rises over the sound of everything else. There's the din, and then it segues immediately into a session with Bedelia, almost like one of his quote unquote dissociative moments uh, back in uh, Tron Orman, where mm-hmm. he uh, loses time and suddenly he's at Hannibal's office. So I loved the ways it visually harkened back to, oh, Will is slipping back into that former, that that self that is more familiar to us, but is also the more vulnerable version of him. But in some ways, again, because it's more familiar, it has this feeling of like, 
oh, this is who Will really is in a insidious way. Yeah. <clears throat> and it is like it's this this version of Will who's also, you know, coming back to wrestling with his own darkness. Mm-hmm. Like that that's <laughs> That's basically the entirety of this show so far. It's playing chicken with the abyss. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think yeah, that was the original name of that Nietzsche thing, but it didn't. Yes, it, it, it didn't, didn't uh, stick. catch on. Yeah. <laughs> they brought they sent that back to draft. Um, <laughs> if you play chicken with the abyss, the abyss also plays chicken with you. I shouldn't be laughing at that. It wasn't that funny. <laughs> it wasn't. It I'm really, writing that down it, for episode title. Fucking really wasn't. But, um, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, this version of Will that we see, like, more more fully fleshed out again, like, brought the entire way back out by the Chilton storyline, where by the end he's actually questioning, oh, fuck, did I do that on purpose? Yeah. Like, did I make him a target on purpose? Mm-hmm. And, I mean... I'm not sure. There are people like there. There are basically arguments on any any area of the spectrum. Like I, I've seen posts from people saying, "No, he absolutely did this 100% intentionally," you know, to try and get Dollarhide to attack Chilton, which I don't buy. I I didn't. I don't buy that either. I and I actually. Well, well, keep go go ahead. If you, I don't know. I I think it's somewhere in the middle. Like I, I would say it's hazy in between. I'm not sure if he did it. If he did it subconsciously, hmm. like I do think part of him did it on purpose. Hmm. Like, but I'm not sure if he did it subconsciously or I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not entirely positive where that is. Um, but I mean, you know, he, he did think that Chilton was going to have bodyguards. Yeah. Well, and out, he like, did. We saw. Yeah. He comes out under FBI protection. Like, I, I'm. I'm assuming Will knew that because they were definitely putting themselves on the line here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the thing that I found really curious about all these, the scenes with Bedelia, specifically that scene where she's asking him, basically uh, poking around, seeing if maybe you did do it on purpose. Um, I almost felt like, because of the way that Will is reacting to it, I almost felt like she was sort of, I don't want to use the term psychic driving because that's not what she was doing, but it almost felt like she was sort of trying to push him into that belief rather than actually leading him to his own revelation. Mm-hmm. Which, again, it just makes me even more boggled about her relationship with Hannibal. Uh, and there was that line earlier in the episode where she was like, if I was Hannibal's bride, I only wish I was his last, which there again is that moment is like, you jealous? <laughs> Although in yeah. a reverse direction. Yeah. She's like, damn, Will, I slept with him and I still couldn't keep him around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he only has eyes for you. <laughs> Oh man, Bedelia is just—I—I I can't even with her anymore. I—I I just can't. I—I I, she was—I liked her, and I still—I—I I, don't get me wrong. I love the character, but when it comes to how much I trust her, I'm just like, fucking hey, Bedelia, whose side are you on? Yeah, yeah, she's on her own side. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically, they've got Gillian Anderson playing a very alien character right here. Yeah, and it's it's in these it, this at this point in the character's journey that she feels most. If we're if we're comparing the characters, this is where she feels most distant from Scully. Uh, because Scully is it, it, it very much an every woman character like she's the one who questions all of Mulder's stuff she's the one who keeps the show grounded and Bedelia is on the complete opposite side of the spectrum where it's just like I'm floating around in this world of killers and Hannibal's got his thing going and he sort of manipulated me but I kind of dig it and I don't know what's going on anymore and I as a viewer am feeling confused and just like what yeah <laughs> It's, it and it, again, 
it goes without saying, but all the props to Gillian Anderson and uh, her abilities as an actress that she's able to show. She's just she has such a wide spectrum of parts that she's able to play. One of the things that I just remembered that I found curious was in that first scene with Will and Bedelia when they're talking about the whole uh, situation with Hannibal and there's a line about, if you play, you pay. As, as it gets further into the conversation and as Bedelia starts talking about like Hannibal's feelings for Will and stuff, it looks like there are tears in her eyes. Like, they don't drop onto her face, but it looks like her eyes are glistening with, with tears or something. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> I have no clue what that means, but wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it may have just been the lighting or something, but it just added this other level of intensity to everything. Hannibal season three. I don't know what it means, but wow. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Oh, now you understand my reaction to the to the snails in the first half. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Oh my god. A quick aside, by the way, and this is fine on the podcast. Like we don't need to cut it or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother texted me the other day, and it was so the the timing was so fucking beautiful. I can't even I can't even describe to you. The one day he texted me, and he was like, it was like halfway through the day, and he I just got this text out of nowhere from my younger brother. It was like, dude, Twin Peaks is really legit, and it was like, yeah, it is. And then the next day he texted me, he was like, dude, Twin Peaks season two is fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so perfect <laughs> which does tie in somewhat to our own to our current conversation but i just wanted to share that speaking of twin peaks angelo badalamenti was confirmed as uh doing the soundtrack for the new season oh yeah yeah i was reading that the other day so that's pretty awesome good to have him back uh i'm just looking at more of my notes because i took a bunch this time around actually uh and uh, specifically, uh, dipping back into the scene again, mm-hmm. with Dollarhide's voice, when he's saying, do you see, he goes through so many different versions of that line, and each time it gets more and more alien. There's this one where he does where it's like, do you see? And uh, in any other context, it might sound, like the way I did it, it kind of sounds silly, but it's that just really otherworldly, like, what is he doing? What the fuck is he doing? <laughs> and it, it, again, it, the way that he's been able to separate his performance from uh, Ray Fiennes has just been amazing. Uh, and <laughs> the, the, the most, the, oh my gosh, I'm just, <laughs> One of the best sight gags, like, uh, shot gags, like, cutting gags that has... Oh, editing, yeah. Editing gags. That's the word I was looking for. One of the best editing gags in this entire show is when Hannibal gets the envelope, we see the two lips, then it cuts to a later scene, and uh, they're talking about, like, uh, Alana's talking about how, like, oh, you orchestrated this whole thing, which... I I understood what she was trying to do, but she really doesn't. How Hannibal orchestrated the whole thing, I wasn't completely buying it. I yeah. mean, he does orchestrate everything, but that was stretching it a little far. Um, but then we cut to Jack. He holds up the tray. It focuses. We see there's only one lip, and he says, "Where's the other one?" Two second cut to Hannibal slurping the lip into his mouth. Cut back, biggest smug grin on his face. I died. I died. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> That's the thing about this show. They do stuff like that, and it's just fucking perfect. And his Hannibal throughout that entire scene just has the hugest grin on his face. He's so snarky in that whole scene. 
<laughs> and I, I love snarky Mads Mikkelsen Hannibal. It's so much different than the snarky Anthony Hopkins Hannibal. It's awesome. Yeah. Mads Mikkelsen is just so fucking pleased with everything that's going on. <laughs> the phrase pleased as punch comes to mind. <laughs> Entirely. <laughs> and the punch is made of people. Yes, pleased as people punch. Uh, okay, going back to uh, the Hannibal, not Hannibal, uh, the Will Bedelia stuff, more notes that I had that were down lower. Uh, I really like the way that they've been able to work Bedelia into this part of the season because in a way, the the way that I, the correlation that I made in my head is that she serves a similar purpose to as YB does in the Coraline movie. Um, for people who aren't familiar with Coraline, it's a book by Neil Gaiman that was adapted into an amazing clay, uh, stop motion animation movie by Henry Selick. And in the book, Coraline, it's told, it's third person narration and it's focused on this character, Coraline. She's a young girl and she goes on this fantastical journey through horrific stuff because it's Neil Gaiman. Uh, but, a lot of the story just happens. It, there, there's not a whole lot of dialogue, and a lot of the story happens we see through Coraline's eyes. In the movie, I remember watching one of the featurettes for the movie where Neil Gaiman talked about the character of YB, who is created for the movie, and he's sort of an, uh, a kid that's Coraline's age uh, that has this banter with her throughout the movie. And Neil Gaiman says in this featurette, I understood the purpose of YB right off the bat because YB, uh, it, it, if you didn't have a character like that, you would just have it, Coraline. You could, would either have to go with a internal narration or you would have Coraline staring off into the distance as she thinks about stuff or something like that. But when you have a character like YB, you have someone that you can reflect Coraline's thoughts off of so that she's not the story isn't completely in her head you have an external way to get that out there so that the audience can enjoy that Bedelia has served a similar purpose in this section of the season with these psychological sessions it's a way for us to get a lot of the internal conflict going on in Will that is probably present in the book that you wouldn't necessarily see if she wasn't there uh, you would definitely see it in Hugh Dancy's performance because he's an awesome actor, but this is a way to uh, delve into it in a more tangible way and also get away of uh, of getting that back and forth and the reflection upon these different things. So, I, just from a writing perspective, I wanted to point that out because I, I love that aspect of her character this season. I mean, I think it's entirely possible that that's the purpose of the psychiatry scenes throughout the show. Yeah. Like, it, it could have very easily been a reason for bringing, you know, Bedelia in in the first place um, in, the, you know, the very first season where we have... Because initially, wasn't she only supposed to interact with Hannibal? And then they expanded her role once they cast uh, Gillian Anderson? Yes, I think so. That might be something apocryphal that I'm, you know, quoting, well, but the, I, I think I remember reading The thing it. was, was originally uh, Brian Fuller wanted to cast Angela Lansbury as the character... And then uh, when they couldn't get her and they decided to cast someone younger, that's when uh, Brian Fuller was forced to think of, okay, why would she have gone into retirement? So basically because they couldn't get Angela Lansbury is the reason Bedelia is such a... Uh, she, she would have still been an interesting character, but it's that's almost the reason why there's the whole... Uh, oh, uh, did I kill my patient backstory thing. Right, right. Uh, because they needed a reason for her to have gone to retirement. And that, that added just a whole other layer to the show. Mm. But, I mean, thinking of uh, other psychiatrist scenes, like the whole scene with Jack and his psychiatrist mm -hmm. was just an opportunity for us to get, like, a very, very honest internal monologue from Jack. Yeah. You know, not necessarily something he would share with uh, with somebody else. Cause you know, he's not gonna, he's not gonna really have that kind of conversation with Bella because she's got her own shit going on, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, 
you know, she doesn't have to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it's interesting cause that is, it, it's, it's a pretty effortless way. I, I think it's just, it's perfect for this show. Yeah. Like you put somebody in front of a psychiatrist on Hannibal and nobody blinks an eye, mm-hmm. but you know, on another, on a different show, I can see where you'd be like, oh, okay, hold on a second. Why, like what's going on that we need to see this character's therapy sessions? Like why, you know, why is that? a part of the show, but on Hannibal, it's, it's like so ingrained in the DNA that it's like, of course we're going to see these characters, yeah. you know, in their therapy sessions. So much of what we're talking about revolves around psychiatry. Why would we not see them in their therapy session? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking more at just lines that I wrote down that last, I think it's the last session they have when they're talking about, Oh, did will purposefully, put Chilton uh, under the chopping block. Yeah, that that's the last, uh, last um, conversation I had. The other, like, that I think is where I really started to wonder how much Bedelia was just trying to help Will reflect and how much she was driving him towards a particular... And that's the thing. If she is driving him into believing that, okay, maybe he is doing... If she's driving him towards giving into his dark side... To what end is she doing yeah. that? But the reason in that one of the huge reasons that I started thinking that was because she starts giving Will the whole participation versus observation speech that Will that that Hannibal gave her. Like almost, it, it, she navigates into it from a different in a different context because obviously they don't have someone that she just uh, started to murder <laughs> uh, lying on the floor between them. But uh, she ends up, it, she, the last line of that whole line of thinking that she has is that's participation. It, she, uh, she has a line, like, she leads Will in that direction. And she says, like, then you may as well just let the match yourself. That's participation. And that's when I was like, fuck, what is she doing? What is she doing? <laughs> She is progressively, over the course of the show, changed from wise potential victim to, oh, kind of sinister. Sinister, uh, unknown being. And just, I I just, yeah. (laughs) I don't know what else I can say about it. Yeah, there there are definitely shades of sinister to her performance. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we get Will visiting Chilton in the hospital, which at that point it's like it is very disturbing to see him burnt alive. But th- there's this weird there's this weird uh, like divorce that happens that that happened for me watching that scene where it's like I. There's something about it where I I can't connect with Chilton on mm-hmm. an emotional level. It's like if I did, I would probably just feel so so distraught. Yeah. But it it, it it's sort of it, it's sort of like the uncanny valley thing, like seeing him screaming and like just and before he was burnt, so most of his face still looks like him, but then seeing his jawline looking incredibly wrong. That's super, super disturbing. Then seeing him uh, almost zombified or mummified by fire, that's taking it so so far uh, far enough away from uh, looking familiar where it's like, this is still very disturbing, but it's not that visceral, not, it's not in the same way that, uh, that the previous scene was. Mm-hmm. So it's it's unpleasant to watch, but it's it's not the same thing. Um, but uh, like is it, is it, on my second viewing, I started thinking, or I, I probably thought this my first viewing, but it was on the second viewing where I realized where I, I was getting it from. But they they go up to him and we see him, and the line popped into my head: "What is keeping him alive?" And the place that I got that from is from the original Silent Hill. Oh, of course. <laughs> Alessa is burnt. 
what circumstances, it depends on who you ask, but she survives it. She ends up in the hospital. And uh, in the video game, you don't get this in the movie, which is kind of disappointing because Lisa is a really interesting character in the video game. But in the video game, you have the character of Lisa, who is her nurse. And at a point, there's a point where you get like a, a cassette recording of a, like a, almost like an audio diary. Or I can't remember what exactly it was. But you hear her logging her, uh, like, after her visit, after each of her visiting, after each time she visits Alessa, she sort of reports back to this tape recorder, I guess. And it, there's a point, and she's talking about, like, the bandages keep soaking up, like, pus and stuff, but the, the burns aren't healing. And there's a certain point where she just says, what is keeping her alive? And in the context of Silent Hill, it's there's certainly something supernatural going on. Mm -hmm. um, but in the show, that it's the, these are my my uh, uh, these are the points of reference I have for people being burnt alive. Alessa in the Silent Hill series, and now Chilton. Oh, Freddie Lowndes, but we don't really get to see Freddie Lowndes' body beyond it being burnt in the movies. But now, so Alessa and now Chilton. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's probably good to not have too, too many frames of reference for people yeah. being burned alive. Um, let's see. It's also T-Bird in the uh, in the first Crow movie. Um, <laughs> he's fused to his car. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think they have done a few burn, burnt zombies on Walking Dead, but that's not quite the same thing. Yeah, I mean, alive is kind of the kind of the word there. Um, spawn, spawn from Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Spawn! Oh God! Um, <laughs> what else? <laughs> from the Anything Todd for Laura. From the Todd McFarlane School of People Don't Care About Story. <laughs> Was that her name, Laura? His I wife. Don't... I don't remember. I can't remember. I just remember his line delivery in the movie of, of that was just, wow. <laughs> oh my god, Michael Jai White deserves a better superhero role. Didn't John that... Leguizamo play the the violator or the clown at yeah, least? Yes, John Leguizamo definitely played the clown. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> was that Michael Jai White? I think it was. I don't know. I can't remember. I, I only saw like parts of that movie. I'm pretty sure it was him. God, what a... What a movie. What a movie. <laughs> that exists. It does. And they, I, I can prove it. <laughs> they painstakingly preserved his apparently 50-foot-long cape for the movie. It's CGI. It's terrible. Dude, McFarlane draws a good cape. <laughs> like, uh, my brother has a couple old... Um, well, they're not that old. Uh, a couple of... Uh, McFarlane's run from Web of Spider-Man oh. featuring the uh, Hobgoblin. Mm -hmm. He draws a scary-ass Hobgoblin, man. Yeah, that's true. Like, he is... He's good at that. It was Michael J. White. Okay, cool. Um, I had to, had to double-check. I understand. Uh, but anyway, being burned alive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but back to that unpleasantness. Yeah. Um, oh, the family from Sinister. <laughs> the fa oh, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, haven't you? No, I've been wanting to. My dad actually has it on DVR back at my parents' house. But the first one's not bad. I hear the second one is like crap, but yeah. the first one's not bad. I, I do want to see the first one. It's not great, but it's a pretty you know solid sort yeah. of by the numbers horror movie. Um, but okay, so there there, were, I think there are two other things that I wanted to touch on from my notes. There's the videotape of Chilton talking about he's he's reciting what Dollarhide's telling him, and he has the line, "He will be more merciful to me than to you." Which in the like I appreciate that I feel like that's a line from Freddie Lowndes' character in the book or the movies, 
So in I that, mean, it's in it's in that speech in the movies and in the book. I'm okay, it sure. is. So yeah. in that context, it in the mo- books and the movies for those who are familiar with them, Freddie Lowndes dies from being burnt alive in a wheelchair, which that that see that tracks with being burnt alive. <laughs> um, and so uh, you could uh, it be it could be saying like, oh, death is more merciful than what Dollar Hyde's going to do to Will. In this context, Chilton survived, and from the way that Dollarhide set it up, he intended for Chilton to survive. And so, if what he's doing to Chilton is more merciful than what he's going to do to Will, what the fuck is he going to do to Will? Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty fucked. <laughs> Which... That kind of, uh, that, we could uh, go straight into, uh, from there into a conversation of uh, what do we think is going to happen to Will? Because you put that tweet out on Twitter just to see what people will be interested in hearing us discuss. And, yes, uh, and uh, yeah, we get a response from at princess underscore star with two R's asking, uh, despite Brian Fuller running the show, do you think they'll avoid the immensely depressing ending of Will Graham? Um, so spoiler alert for people who haven't read the book. Yeah. Really? Well, because, like, because, we should have put that up front, maybe. Uh, <laughs> at this point, we've reached, we've gotten through most of the stuff that's happened in the book. Yeah. Um, but this is specifically stuff that hasn't happened yet in the show, and potentially could be stuff that hasn't happened. Well, stuff that happened in the book, but hasn't happened in either of the movies either. Yeah. So, so, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that we're gonna see, um, we're gonna see a confrontation between Dollarhide and uh, and Will. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like I can't. I'm mm, yeah. <laughs> get those that those noises. That's my response. Um, <laughs> it's it's not gonna be an ending for Will, you know? Yeah. Because this was written before the show was canceled, mm-hmm. so I'm not that yeah I'm not positive where we're gonna leave him. Well, there, there uh, well, one thing that I want to interject with there is there was uh, one of the like feature or the post mortem interviews that Scott Thompson did at the beginning of the season, talking to Steve Lightfoot and Brian Fuller, where Brian Fuller talked about how with again. With this finale, like with previous finales, they tried to write it so that if the show got canceled, uh, it would be a satisfying ending, but mm-hmm. also uh, they could write their way out of it if they got another season. Right. But I mean, Red Dragon, from what we know, and honestly, what we know from most of from what we know of Will's character from the books is mostly from Silence of the Lambs, as far as, like, post-Red Dragon, Mm -hmm. where basically he just noped the fuck out of there. He's he's just done. Like, after Red Dragon. Done, done, done. Washed his hands of it. Left. Cannot be contacted whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Like, they they won't even bother. Which I don't think that's going to be his fate in this one. Yeah. Um, Now, uh, aside from that, like, there's other questions. Like, is his face going to get fucked up? Are, you know, Molly and Walt are going to come into the, come into the equation. Mm-hmm. There, I'm not positive. Cause we did already have that, like, Dollar Hide stalking Molly and Walter through the house. Yeah. So we already had that scene. And uh, we haven't had a scene of uh, Will uh, teaching Molly how to shoot. Yeah, no, we haven't had that. Which, originally, my, uh, the, the guess that I was going to make was, I was guessing that Will would get his face torn up just because they haven't done that in any adaptation yet. And it seems like the sort of thing Brian Fuller would want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the impression you get in either Red Dragon or Silence of the Lambs is that after that whole situation, Molly leaves him, right? Uh, yeah, that's the impression that you get in Silence. 
Um, I'm not sure, again, it's been a while since I've read Red Dragon, I'm not sure if that's the impression that you get from the last chapter of Red Dragon. If I remember correctly from when we talked about Red Dragon with Cleo, <laughs> it sort of leaves it ambiguous as to what's actually going to happen. Yeah. It, because it, it essentially ends with him in the hospital bed after everything's happened, and it's just like, oh, fuck, my worldview is completely changed. Uh because that's yeah. what happens at the end of novels. People's worldview, either people change or they don't. <laughs> um, but uh, my my guess was that Will was going to get his face torn open. Uh, Molly was going to make the shot on Dollar Hide. But Molly wasn't going to leave Will. I don't know if she's necessarily going to get the shot on Dollar Hide this time around. But... I I think that might be the way to possibly lessen the uh, dead, depressing ending of Red Dragon, or as in the context of Sil- what we l- learned from Silence of the Lambs, is by, yes, all this horrible stuff happens to Will, but Molly sticks with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from, from what we get from Silence, it seems like Will's ability to function as a human being has been destroyed. Um, which is what's supposed to give you pause about Clarice then going to meet with Hannibal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, like, again, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, yeah, I'm honestly not, not positive what it's going to come down to. I think the, I think the showdown is going to be between Will and Dollar Hyde. I think it's probably going to be in the burning house. Mm-hmm. And I think Hannibal's going to be there. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's as far as I'm gonna, I'm willing to predict. Again, cause, like, I don't know. We've got, we have a lot of information, but I don't, I don't really like to predict things because I'm very uncomfortable being wrong. That's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's really the crux of my, of my issue. But, uh, yeah, I do think Hannibal's gonna be there cause, um, oh god. I apologize, whoever tweeted this. I, I retweeted it when we were yeah. when the episode was airing, but I cannot remember for the life of me um, who sent the tweet originally. But somebody pointed out that uh, Chilton drops the uh, drops the magazine and it's got fucking staples in it. Well, <laughs> everyone was like staples, Chilton yeah. staples. There was one person in particular. It was the first the first person I saw tweet it. And again, I apologize that I, I mm-hmm. I'm just not gonna you know go back and mm-hmm. dig through. Um, well, and in in a meta sense, uh, another reason where, if you've been keeping up with behind-the-scenes stuff, we knew that Hannibal was going to be in that final confrontation is because well, very a while ago, uh, Richard Armitage tweeted out how, or no, it may have been in an interview, actually. It might have been uh, either on like the Comic-Con panel or something like that, where Richard Armitage talked about how he didn't want to give anything away, but there was a scene where close to the end of the season where he and Hugh Dancy and Maz Mixon are all in the same room together in a house. And it's, he said it was like really intense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the staples. It was, uh, <laughs> it was Atwater Quinn at Moonen and Hugin who oh, okay. was the first one that I saw, but yeah. Um, so Hannibal will probably be there. I completely forgot about that interview, by the way. Oh yeah. And I think I think when that came out, we were kind of discussing whether or not one of them might be a hallucination, or one of them might be in some. Yeah, people. that was one of the things that we that I know I had wondered. But at this point, I do think the three of them are definitely going to be in the room physically together. Because yeah. it, it's just so much more dramatic that way, and it it makes sense for the dream logic of this show where. They would want to get him actually there. It may see it may stretch the bounds of uh, disbelief how they get him there, but they they would want him to actually be there. I was actually describing murder wizard logic to somebody at work the other day. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Uh, really quick, because you were talking about Twitter, I wanted to. I friggin' loved. How after the awful moment with Chilton this episode, everyone was tweeting, 
Oh, but thank God we didn't see buttocks earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Which well, just... uh, yeah, somebody asked uh, Brian Fuller if there was an issue about that, and his immediate response was about, like, no, the thing they were worried about the most was whether or not you could see Armitage's butt in the earlier scene. Yeah, and it's just it just shows the backwards logic of network stances and practices, apparently. Yeah. You can get away with scarring people for life, but butt cheeks, mm, that is the, that is too lewd. <laughs> oh my god, I am so going to clip that soundbite out of context. <laughs> oh no, what have I done? The moment after I made the noise, I was like, fuck, fuck, no, fuck. No, damn it. <laughs> I fucked up. Uh, okay, and then the last thing I have on here is the last part of the episode with Reba, which, what what pretense did it... Because when he unties her, she starts talking about it as if, like, okay, she's freaked out, but she understood why he tied her up, or... Because she has this line where she says, like, uh, like, uh, I didn't know you cared about me so much, or I'm glad you care about me this much, or something like that. And I, I couldn't tell if she was saying it, like, jokingly, as if, like, tried to diffuse the tension of, this guy just tied me up and brought me to his house. Or if it was, uh, if she genuinely, if, like, he had brought her under the pretense of, like, oh, I'm bringing you to keep you safe from someone. Yeah, I don't know. That, that scene was odd. Mm -hmm. But after that, like, again, uh, the mounting tension in that scene. Uh, that, uh, oh, I have her name. It's on the tip of my tongue. Give me a second. Rutina Wesley. Got mm. it. Uh, her performance in this scene, just so awesome. And uh, when he, like, specifically when he asks her what the name is, and she starts to say Tooth Fairy, and then he grabs her face, and then the the way she says Red Dragon, it's the first time that it's just been said in that context. Out Everywhere else in the show, it's been the Great Red Dragon, or the Dragon, or the Red Dragon. That's the first time you just hear someone say Red Dragon, and it... Like they, it had that, it had that weight to it of like, fuck, this is the dragon, this is the red dragon, mm -hmm. and then he responds with, "I am the dragon," and we see the wings come out, and uh, the way that they they've paced out that storyline, the Reba Dollarhide storyline, so well, because in uh, the context of a, a two-hour movie or an, a single episode of a show, like, say they decided, okay, we can do... Since we've done all these other Killers of the Week in a single episode, we could do the Dollarhide story in a single episode or two. Uh, you have a character like Reba, and while you can empathize with her, it's sort of like, okay, she's here for this part of the story, but then she's gone. And so you don't feel it quite as deeply when something like this happens, but... Since we've been following this story since episode seven or eight, uh, I just was totally in that moment just wondering what's going on, what's going through Reba's head in this moment where we've seen their relationship develop and she's up until this point thought she was just going out with this really awkward but cute guy and they... I guess had great sex and it was it was awesome and then suddenly he doesn't want to be together anymore. Okay, that's 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 upsetting, but maybe it's just because he is is really socially awkward and he doesn't trust himself to be a good friend, a good a good boyfriend or something like that. And so she brings over the soup, and then this is the point where. She, there, there's, if she was fooling herself before, which I don't think she was, I don't think there was any way she could have known what was going to happen. Just to, it's, it's akin to Will finding out who Hannibal is 
in season one. Reba is finding out, but even more so because Will, he's got the, he had spent so much time with Hannibal and knew sort at least what the way that Hannibal manipulate, not manipulates people necessarily, but the psychological nature of him. And he was, had started to see the darkness, the darker side of him with Abigail, uh, and how they were keeping stuff from the FBI about that. With Reba, she's just been thrust from, Ordinary world, I've got a boyfriend, into I am part of one of the most disturbing murder cases in recent history, and I might be the next victim. That, to me, the way that they've set that up over this entire rest of the season, and the way that that moment, there was just so much payoff in that moment for me on on an emotional story level. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, a lot of that has to do with Richard Armitage and Routine Wesley just being fucking fantastic. Yeah. But yeah. Besides that, I, 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 that's, that's, that's all she wrote. That's all I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> and there's still other stuff we could talk about. Like, I wrote down stuff about like the theological stuff going on where Jack is God, which I had never thought of before. <laughs> But if Hannibal's Lucifer, I guess we could say Jack is God, and then Will, as Hannibal brought up, was Will brings up Hannibal talks about Will as if he's the Lamb of God, and talks about the wrath of the Lamb that way, mm-hmm. which that makes me really wonder how that last scene, how the last episode is going to be going to play out, because the last episode is called the Wrath of the Lamb, so maybe. Will's going to be a more active participant in uh, the action than uh, he was in the novel or the movies. Um, right. And uh, the other thing that I had written down was Will as Hannibal's agent in the real world, which is uh, the way that that last scene with Will and Bedelia ends. Uh, Bedelia says Hannibal does have an agent in the real world. It's you. And that's got to send shivers down Will's spine. <laughs> yeah, that is a, the last of all I have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I do want to get into the like theology mm-hmm. of uh, of this episode, but it's probably something I pr- I would have had to prepare better for. Because mm-hmm. you know I. <laughs> I am uh, I am very interested in the the different sort of weird uh, levels of Christian mythology that we don't get into a lot. You know, like mm-hmm. Revelations. I think Revelations has a lot of interesting weird symbolism going on in it. Yeah. Oh, which definitely. is like a huge understatement. Of course, it fucking yes. does. But um, again, like to actually to actually peel into this, I feel like I wouldn't be doing it justice just riffing off the top of my head. Well, one of the things that popped into my head is, like, for the first time, Hannibal is sharing the wealth when it comes to labeling people as religious figures. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yes. <laughs> Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> the fucker. <laughs> that could be a subtitle for the whole damn show. Good for him, the fucker. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I uh, I don't have anything else. Yeah, I'm I'm good. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for listening to us ramble this evening. Um, one last that was bit our... of before we finish up. One last bit of wild mass guessing. Uh, Bella comes in with a shotgun and shoots everyone up. <laughs> that was my yeah. That <laughs> that wouldn't ruin the tone at all. <laughs> I just felt like bringing that back because that was my bit of wild mass guessing from season one. <laughs> Fair enough. So, Although I think I said machine gun before then. Anyway, go ahead. That was our discussion of and the number of the or the number of the beast is six six six. Ellipsis or no ellipsis, we were discussing the same episode <laughs> this Saturday. Um, well, actually, it'll be what Thursday for Canada, August twenty seventh, and then Saturday the 29th for the U.S. Um, we will be watching the wrath of the lamb episode 13 and what is very likely our series finale so uh you know we hope to hope to see you then um 
I don't think we have anything else, so... We will be around afterwards for commiseration. <laughs> oh, yeah, we will be. And, uh, you know, we'll be producing another episode, and then we'll actually be producing um, a final episode to sort of talk about the entire series as a whole um, after that. And are we are we slating to release that a week after the finale episode? Uh, we'll figure... We'll, 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 we'll feel it out. Okay, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if we actually had a timeline nailed down, but... Mm-hmm. Either way, um, you know, you can expect another episode that sort of wraps up the entire series after um, that. And yeah, uh, I, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast yet, but after the series, potentially this, after the season, potentially the series is over, we are planning on continuing the podcast. Um, we're probably going to end up doing, we're planning on going down to an episode a month instead of like every, uh, every other week. Uh, just because life is busy, <laughs> um, but uh, we will be continuing the podcast and we'll be talking about other horror-related topics and stuff. So keep us on the podcast feed <laughs> on the iTunes, on your iTunes or RSS feed. Take take another run at that, but a little more desperate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Well, we will uh, we will see you then for what is sure to be an emotional few days ahead. Yes. Good night. Good night. This has been A Matter of Taste. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at amatteroftastepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at AOMOTpodcast. Find full episode posts at amatteroftastepodcast.blogspot.com. And follow us as A Matter of Taste Podcast on Tumblr, Facebook, and iTunes. Thanks for listening. 